Welcome to Fintech Insider Focus in association with Visa. Our once little world of financial services is now a global superstar, and there are people everywhere opening up new markets and discovering new challenges like never before. In this strand of Fintech Insider, we take a burning question from financial services across the globe and really put it under the microscope with explainers, expert panels, and in-depth interviews, all to bring the global community into focus. This month, the question that we're getting stuck into is, how is embedded finance disrupting access to finance in APAC? If you're listening to this podcast, you probably don't need me to give you the full rundown of exactly what embedded finance actually is. That concept of embedding financial services at the point of need for consumers and businesses has been pretty well explored, um, especially by us. But the beauty of embedding finance is the sheer range of possible combinations. If you think of it like a slot machine, or a poker machine for our Australian listeners. There are infinite amount of combinations between financial services providers, solutions, and placements. These can often be really specific to the region or community and sector which are actually being served by this. So Asia Pacific has the potential to look at this in a completely different way to elsewhere on the planet. And with Visa predicting this sector to be worth 242 billion US dollars in opportunities for financial service providers by 2025, it is safe to say lots of people across Asia Pacific are looking at how to explore and exploit these possibilities. In these next two focus episodes, we'll look to drill down into those possibilities with folks in the market who really know it best. We'll get into all of that after a quick word from our sponsors at Visa. Visa's FinTech Fast Track program is streamlining the onboarding process for FinTechs, enabling them to gain access to Visa's powerful capabilities and network. Visa and their enablement partners help FinTechs launch and scale cards, virtual credentials, and disbursement programs. To learn more, visit partner.visa.com. This is FinTech Insider After Dark. We are breaking out of the studio and bringing it to the community. It's a live recording of the FinTech Insider podcast featuring your favorite hosts and big name guests. Well, thank you very much for having me back. Join us and become a certified FinTech Insider. Whether it's beers in London or pizza in New York, catch up with FinTech geeks and make new friends across the financial services ecosystem. This is packed out, right? This is standing yeah. only. We are bringing After Dark to the Village Underground in London on the 20th of September. Click the link in the podcast description or visit 11fs.com slash afterdark. Thank you very much for joining us, everybody. Good night. to Fintech Insider Focus, it's time to bring in our panel of experts to really dig into the question, how is embedded finance disrupting access to finance in APAC? First off, we have my Fintech Insider Focus co-host for this month's episodes, Lauren Ware, who is the Senior Director for Digital and Fintech Partnerships, 
Visa Asia Pacific. Welcome to the show, Lauren. How are you doing? I'm really well, thanks. It's Friday afternoon in Singapore, so I'm very close to my weekend, one step closer than you are, so can't complain. <laughs> so near, so near. Uh, tell everybody a little bit more about your, your role at Visa. I mean, that's a, that's a long title, but uh, you've got all the good stuff to do, right? Sure, David, and it's a great point. I, I really think I have one of the best jobs at Visa. Um, so my team and I manage Visa's partnerships with a group of high-growth, innovative, and disruptive digital and fintech partnerships. Um, across the Asia-Pacific region. And we work really closely with our clients to launch new payments products, expand into new markets, and also to scale through optimizing CVP design and performance. Um, in my view, it's it's a really exciting and dynamic part of the visa business. And I get to work with some super interesting clients like Big Pay and Wise, who we're going to hear from in this episode today. Very, very cool. And uh, as far as doing that role in a region, I mean, this is a, an amazing region. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it uh, much more as we talk about it. But the, the level of disruption, the level of change that's happened over the last couple of years is is really amazing, isn't it? It is. And I think Asia Pacific is just such a diverse region. And, and I know that we're going to talk about that a little more soon. Very cool. All right. We are also joined by Zubin Radha Krishnan, who is the CEO over at BigPay. Thank you very much for joining us, Zubin. How are you doing? No problem. All good. Very good. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know BigPay, you know, global podcast all over the world, uh, tell us a little bit more. Sure. I mean, we're really a, at the core payments and transacting platform. Um, and we're really about leveling up people's lives one transaction at a time. That's our mission. So we give customers, we empower them with features that allow them to take back control of their money. So we have a really comprehensive, easy to understand financial feed to enable users to figure out you know, what they've been spending on, how they can better manage that cash flow, um, and a broad range of payment tools. Um, QR, cross-border QR, virtual and physical visa cards that you know, Lauren helps us with that really provide customers a really seamless, easy and reliable way to, to pay for their everyday lifestyles. And then beyond that, we have things like credit for when customers need to level up their lives or just carry on. Um, we have features like being able to put money away if you spend, where you can round up and top up your transactions and so on. And our priority this year is really working a lot closer with the Air Asia ecosystem, which we're part of to kind of level up the lives of the, the tens of millions of customers who use the AirAsia Super app to get from one place to another, you know, be it the office downtown or the next dream holiday in, in Bali. Very, very cool. Well, thank you very much for, for joining us on the show. Um, uh, last but very much by no means least, uh, we have a welcome return to FinTech Insider Focus for Surendra Chaplot, who is the global head of product over at Wise. Uh, welcome back to the show, Surendra. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me back, uh, David. Uh, really good to be back. No worries. You, you clearly did a great job last time. So like the, the producers are like, let's get that guy back on. So, uh, But uh, um, for anybody who doesn't know, tell us a little bit more about your, your role at Wise uh, and, and Wise itself. So yeah, I, I do product advice. Um, I look after some of the kind of global products uh, that we are building for consumers and businesses around the world, which lets them hold money and use money like a local anywhere in the world. So Wise is all about money without borders. Uh, you know, we, we want to give customers who, who want to deal with multiple different currencies the best way to hold money, um, best way to spend money with like a local with a, with a debit card, and then best way to send money anywhere in the world uh, using the Wise app. We also have a Wise platform product, which takes all of this and, and puts it into an API product and allows different kinds of businesses, banks, and, and other players around the world embed this inside their apps. Uh, and so that's that's sort of what I kind of look after um, uh, advice, yeah. Very cool. Uh, very cool role. We'll get into that a lot more as we, we go, as the 
the nuances of actually how you manage those things over a global piece is, is super interesting. You know, customers' requirements and customers' behavior are very different in different regions, right? So um, before we jump in, here comes the caveat. Uh, just a reminder, listeners, the views and not opinions of our panel are theirs on their own. Don't necessarily reflect the companies that they're representing. Uh, and as always, nothing we should say should be taken as tax or financial or legal advice. Basically, what I'm saying is do your own research. Uh, it's always good to get out of the way. Definitely just nobody should be taking financial advice from me. Uh, and with that, we probably should get in. I mean, Lauren, starting with you, um, where does Visa fit into the embedded finance relationship? I mean, it's quite a quite a complex ecosystem we're dealing with when it comes to embedded finance. So what's your views on the market? It is it is complex, David, and I think it's a great question. But, but before I dive in and answer, I think it's good to kind of level set on what we mean when we talk about embedded finance. Um, so I guess from, from our perspective, we see embedded finance as the delivery of financial services on everyday digital platforms that are non-financial at the right moments in the customer's journey. And we see that there are significant untapped opportunities in this space. And if we look just at small businesses and consumers alone, Asia Pacific represents more than $240 billion in addressable revenue, which is pretty staggering. But to come back to your question, David, um, I, I see there being sort of three key areas where where Visa fits in when we talk about embedded finance. The first of those is the fact that our unique network of network strategy positions us right at the heart of what can be achieved through embedded finance. And our strategic partnerships span across all participants in the embedded finance ecosystem, from banks to non-FIs to fintechs, merchants, payfax, and of course, other solutions providers. And our role is really to support how they can unlock growth potential in the digital economy. And a great example of how this can play out and how this can come together is a personal one for me. And I hope I'm not stealing too much of, of Zubin's thunder here. But next week, I'm going to Bali. I'm leaving my husband and my toddler at home and I'm meeting some girlfriends in Bali, um, which I'm obviously very excited about. But I booked my flights on the AirAsia app. And in the app, I can not only book my flights, but in that process and in that moment, I'm also offered travel insurance, accommodation options, on-the-ground transport, and of course, big pay, which enables me to unlock exclusive offers with AirAsia. So across that single experience, I can book, pay, and gain access to, to loyalty benefits. So that's just one personal example of, of where this all comes together. The second area I wanted to talk about is data. And so I believe that the success of embedded finance relies really heavily on participants in the value chain being able to leverage new sources of data to enable that personalization of solutions, providing that right solution at the point of context. And so Visa's data-driven capabilities really facilitate that value exchange and collaboration in finance, um, where a brand that is synonymous with trust. And so we continue to work with industry leaders to enhance data accountability and, of course, customer trust. And the third area I wanted to talk about is our payments expertise. So, so I guess obvious point, but, but Visa has over 60 years of experience in this field. And as we were talking about before, Asia Pacific as a region is an extremely diverse spectrum of developing, emerging and developed markets. Um, and Visa can really leverage our expertise in payments to help to 
uplift SMBs and consumers and bring them into the digital economy. And we can help our clients in the process to determine the best pathway to go to market in a consultative way. That's super interesting. I mean, I love the the, the beginning of that. I almost went off you when you were saying you were going to Bali. I'm not <laughs> going to lie. Like I, uh, I was just fixating on the beautiful beaches uh, at that point. But, uh, um, but the, I mean, I, I always sort of feel like with Embedded, it's the idea is essentially taking the solution to where the problem is, right? And and to your point, actually, the 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 embedding of that is is actually really an interesting thing and actually a, a complex one for big incumbent organizations to to kind of get their head around in terms of actually how you manage those things to happen the the narrative of you know yesteryear of all of my financial products within my branch network you know people come within the branch and therefore they can access the stuff that metaphor is sort of being digitized into their their digital estates where all of their stuff sits in all of their estates but but really that's not how people manage their financial lives is it the they really want to have financial capabilities embedded into all of the things that they're doing which means it needs to be where they've got those problems isn't it or you know opportunities should i say rather than necessarily just problems but but i mean you touched on that uh, Lauren a, l- a little bit in terms of like the the use cases but um Surendra, Zubin i mean there's uh, the thing I found amazing about APAC and, and Lauren sort of touches on this, APAC's a big place, you know I mean? Like covering it all in one acronym, you know, the the customer requirements, uh, when we were uh, out doing, uh, building mocks in Hong Kong, Trust Bank, fundamentally different. Same products, same financial instruments, but the way in which people interact with them is fundamentally different. So, I mean, what particular use cases are you seeing that are, solving real customers' problems? Well, I can jump into the first one, I guess. I think for me, well, just overall, I think three kind of big things here in Southeast Asia. One, trust, and I'll dig deeper into that and and tell you what that means practically. Um, There's also number two, I think a lot of, there are a lot of conglomerates out here with massive customer pools, right, that can be unlocked with embedded finance. And then thirdly, I think, in markets like Southeast, around Southeast Asia, embedded finance can be really a first step into, fin, uh, into financial services, right? But maybe before I go into to all of those, I think trust is an important one. And really trust is a big issue in some parts of Southeast Asia, right? right? Especially in places where financial services are, are really still nascent. The good reminder that, you know, the area, APAC is not homogenous for one, um, and you just touched on that, but Southeast Asia itself, right, has got a range of different types of economies at varying stages of, of development, right? And you can see this in, 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 in kind of e-commerce, right? Cash and delivery was and still is a little bit, a little bit less post-COVID, still is a default for a lot of e-commerce players across Vietnam, Indonesia, Philippines, you know, three quarters of, of I think three quarters of all uh, e-commerce um, orders in, in Vietnam are, are cash on delivery. I mean, two thirds in the Philippines and maybe like 30, 40% in Indonesia. You know, some of this is, is explained by low penetration of, of financial services, but a lot can be explained by the lack of trust, safety, and security, especially when they're undertaking transactions, right? So if we can embed financial services more seamlessly into the customer journey, such that it is kind of financial services below the surface, uh, it doesn't require separate action, separate friction. It could go a long way to, to adoption, right? So I think that's one peculiarity and, uh, uh, about Southeast Asia that, that, that's interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because on that point, I, I guess that uh, that sort of leads itself to uh, it's a funny one, and there'll be a lot of you know, there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are like real geeks for financial services. You know, we are too, right? We love this stuff, but but like normal people don't care, you know. So they're they're not sort of waking up, you know, and the first thing they do is like, 
I really need to do my banking. Like I want to do some financial services stuff. It's just not reality really, is it? So, so I think the, the reality is you're, you're playing it out. And I think this is probably where APAC is ahead of the world with that regard is, is embedding financial services to the place where it's most relevant seems to, seems to be the, the way to, to engage with it, particularly if you're doing that in a, uh, a partnership format or into a service that is, uh, you know, hugely usable for for everybody. Something that really stands out to me any, every time, you know, traveling to Singapore or uh, Hong Kong. I was over there for the festival last year in uh, Singapore. Um, I mean, I mobile data didn't work on my phone for like three days. And basically it was like I didn't exist, you know what I mean? So, you know, being able to use Grab or being able to use any of the sort of travel pieces, I mean, it, it becomes really difficult, but but actually the the embedded nature when those things are working of all of the financial services that are in there facilitates basically people's whole life, doesn't it? So, uh, I mean, so, Surendra, what, what do you think? I mean, what are the... What are the real problems we're solving for consumers at this stage? So ultimately, you're right. Like it, it all comes down to what's the what's the end customer experience that consumers and businesses are getting, right? And uh, over time, customers automatically try and um, find the most efficient ways of, you know, taking care of their financial needs. And embedded finance or, or any service that we bring to the market is basically just solving a customer problem of how do they get access to financial tools or financial or I don't know payment methods in the easiest, most convenient manner possible. And that's what we've tried to do with Wise Platform, for example. Like we've, we've been doing international payments for now 12 plus years, and we've built this network of moving money in a very efficient manner around the world. And by you know opening up access to this platform through a very simple to use API, we can now allow a lot of businesses that want to you know offer these services to their customers in a very convenient, uh, transparent manner. Uh, I think ultimately it's all about like, you know, how are you solving that end customer's problem? And then these are just tools that, you know, end up solving that problem. For us, like each of the, each of the wise uh, platform customer that we've gone live with uh, in the end has uh, empowered their customers to use this platform that we've built. It, it takes a lot of time and energy to build this platform, but then with a simple integration, which takes a couple of weeks, uh, I'll, I'll give you the example of Bank Mandiri in Indonesia. I mean, they've taken Vice Platform integrated with us over a period of a couple of months, and then suddenly, hundred million plus customers in Indonesia have access to a very, uh, you know, efficient way of moving money around the world. Uh, that's what the power of embedded finance is for me. Like how it suddenly opens up um, access uh, and brings, uh, you know, a completely fundamentally different product to the market in a very quick, efficient manner. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. It's it's almost the iceberg metaphor, isn't it? it all of the complexities below the surface and uh, the exposure of that to, uh, to, to customers, whether they are B2B or B2C, then it is, uh, you know, keeping it graceful at the front there, isn't it, as well? I, I mean, you must have seen, similar to what I described a second ago, in terms of with your, you know, your role and your remit, the the customer needs are quite different given the market context of all of the different geos that you cover. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm always fascinated by Jason Bates, one of the co-founders of 11FS, um, was always really uh, passionate as as we've done jobs to be done frameworks in all of the, these different places to to really get to grips with those sort of almost like brutal realities of day-to-day lives. And and actually, they're very different in many of the geos that you work in. But 
but the financial instruments and the way that the regulator regulates are quite consistent in terms of actually their makeup. So, I mean, I, I always um, I always would love to be a fly on the wall on the uh, the product roadmap in in localizing those things, but it's a difficult task, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like each, for example, APAC, you, you mentioned this as well, like each of the countries in in, uh, in Asia Pacific are so unique and different. And we've seen this in the kind of different demand that we see from, from customers as well. Again, I'll kind of go back to the Bank Mandiri example, like one of the first things that they came to us for was the transparency that they could bring into the market. Like for them, that was very crucial that they can suddenly bring, uh, you know, transparency in how FX works to an entire market, which is as big as Indonesia. They they became the first bank who could do FX in a very transparent manner uh, on their mobile applications. Another example, um, which could be uh, Indus and Bank in India. It's also a very large traditional bank in India. Now, their need was allowing all of the Indian expats around the world be able to send money home in an easy enough manner. So we built kind of a slightly different product for them to allow this kind of a movement of money for, from people who are living abroad to move money to India. This is the third product that we've just started rolling out with a couple of people where we are leveraging our partnerships with uh, Visa and, uh, in, in, in different parts of the world to allow businesses embed spending solutions in their apps. Uh, we've gone live with a couple of uh, partners in Australia, you know, ProSpend Pro and Parpera, where you know, they're basically allowing their customers to issue a digital card on the fly uh, using the technology that Wise has built of global issuing. So yes, like customer needs in each of these markets is very kind of has a different uh, nuance to it, and hence we have to adapt our product to it as well as we go along. Yeah, I mean, Lauren, to your to your point, I mean, this isn't just about you know getting offers, as you say. With uh, I'm still sore about that flight to somewhere lovely. Like it sounds that does sound amazing, but but this isn't just a, a retail customer side of things. Like embedded finance has a huge impact on the the SME, the SMB space as well, doesn't it? You're right. I mean, it's it's both. And to kind of go back to your comment earlier, Asia Pacific and in particular Southeast Asia is kind of like land of the super apps. Um, you know, I moved to Singapore 12 months ago from Australia and I'm continuing to be amazed at the proliferations of super app in, apps in the region and how frequently I use them in my day-to-day life using Grab and Gojek for transport or Lazada for groceries or Wise to, to remit money back to Australia. But you're right, it's not just about those consumer journeys. It's also about creating automation and efficiency of B2B payments. Um, You know, recently Visa announced a partnership with SAP to embed payments into the SAP ecosystem. And that's just one example of of where we're starting to see more and more trends in in the B2B payment space. Yeah, it is fascinating, isn't it? I think for, you know, for you know, large organizations, but, you know, 99% of, uh, of all businesses are usually SMEs, aren't they? And they're, you know, they're, none of them really ever start a business to do banking stuff in the same way as we were talking about consumers not really enjoying it. So making that simple, I think, is a, a, a very big point there. But I guess when it comes to actually making in implementing embedded finance. I mean, Surendra, you, you talked a little bit about the the opportunity to integrate your your types of capability. I, I guess this kind of comes down to the the way in which the organizations that are looking to embed finance uh, really have structured both their architecture, but I mean, fundamentally, if I'm honest with you, the way in which they think about financial services in that sense. So uh, I mean, is it just a is it just a technical 
concern or a technical consideration? Or is it broader than that, do you think? So again, like I think when you go about building, uh, you know, something like Wise, like you always, we, we always knew that we are building a money movement platform of sorts, which means that the, you know, give, so Wise is like what we call a billion dollar demo app that we've built on top of that platform. So it's, it's a demo app that, hey, here's how it can work for millions of customers around the world. Uh, that's a that's a pretty impressive demo though, isn't it? Let's be honest. That's a that's an impressive demo. Exactly. And it helps us like, you know, show to anybody that is considering this that hey, these are all the use cases that millions of customers are already using using the Wise app and here's the simple to use API that you can plug in. And I think that speed of uh, going live with something like this is very very important uh, when it comes to merit finance. Like customers are keen on uh, using this in a manner that can allow them to go live with to their end customers as fast as possible. And again, the way we have built uh, the entire Wise Platform product focuses on this kind of speed of going to market. We've gone live as fast, as quickly as like three weeks with some of our partners, and we want to kind of cut it down to even shorter. Like, how do we make this happen within a few days? It should be as simple as like just shifting a few configurations for you to start using uh, using this. Ultimately, like that's the that should be the goal. I guess there's the simplicity on one side, on your side, but necessarily the complexity sometimes on other people's side. I mean, uh, you know, embedding Wise into a fintech with a, you know, a real-time microservices architecture, you know, based system is very different than doing it for, you know, a big bank with infinity monolithic structures, right? So it's it sort of, it, it's a, it's a new way of thinking, I think, in that sense, which is you don't need to do everything yourself. It's about integration and orchestration of the best people in the market, isn't it? I just wanted to speak from the standpoint of, you know, a, a, a fintech player that sits within a big ecosystem with a customer pool. And often people, you know, think, oh, by default, you're going to have access to all these, these, all these companies with all these tens of millions of customers. You know, there, there are many examples of these kinds of ecosystems that exist, right? You've got Lippo Group and, and Over Wallet in Indonesia, Kakao, Kakao Telco and, and Kakao Bank, and, and of course us, Capital A, A Asia and, and Big Pay within that. But the reality is, you know, for us, it's not so easy. I think we also, all of these other companies within the ecosystem are living, breathing entities with a history. We have to prove to them, you know, why they should work with us. What's the value of, you know, working with Big Pay? It's not an automatic uh, option for them to say, look, I'm going to go with Big Pay instead of Y, for example, for our remittance to, to expose remittance services on our on our super app, right? Not a done deal. Things need to be done at the arm's length. So it's easier to for us to open doors, being a, a player within a within a you know customer pool ecosystem. But we still need to prove ourselves. So again, I link to this is a little bit. You know, you touched on the point, uh, Lauren, about data. Data is a big unlock. I mean, that's also not so straightforward, right? I mean, there's a ton of data on the Asia super app around how people are because there's a there's a ride hailing feature within the super app. You know, you can tell people where people are going from day-to-day basis. There's also a shopping feature on the Zipper app. People you can tell what they're, they're transacting on, what they're buying. There's also travel. There's also holidays. But we don't have access to that, right? We need to find a way to get customers to consent to that customer journey. So these things are, you know, they look good. But and it's probably easier for us than for Wise to penetrate. But there is still uh, quite a bit of, of challenge around, you know, getting it done and, and convincing players within the within the internal you know family that we that we live in and I, I guess um within that you know broader family as well then you know we're talking about the regulators as well right you know my um 
I was joking with my uh, chairman yesterday, Sean Meadows. He was saying, yeah, with the advent of the internet, he used to run, uh, used to be the CEO of Aviva. And he said like, yeah, the regulator wanted to see every possible pop-up that might happen in order to, so like the idea that actually finance can be embedded anywhere like you can't really show them those end-to-end journeys where these things are being being created. So, I, I mean, how much how much have you needed? I guess very innovation-friendly regulators within the regions to to allow this type of thing to really sort of flourish. Yeah. So we're in the midst of expanding how we expose a lot of our features in the Asia Super App. And you know, the central bank here in Malaysia has been progressive, but also very careful, which is you know good. Uh, but it also means that we have to work very closely with the, you know, the, the super app tech to ensure that the security features, when we expose these features, you know, via API, are all there and also, you know, vetted and and approved by the regulator, right? So it's it's not so straightforward to just kind of expose an API and just kind of put that, you know, embed a financial services feature. Well, the regulator is going to come and look at it and say, well, are you still protecting customers' interests? Are you still making sure that they're not more exposed to cybersecurity attacks whilst using financial services on, let's say, another app versus your own um, financial services app, right? So that's the complexity of it. And um, oftentimes you'll find that, you know, if you are non-financial services uh, business or an application, you're not going to have sometimes the same kind of levels of security and, 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 and adherence to certain kind of specific regulations that are pertinent only for financial services. So that's the, that's also something the practical difficulty of kind of really exposing embedded finance on, on third party apps and so on. Yeah. And and I guess from a you know from a regulatory perspective, I mean going back to my point before, I mean banks used to be, you know, big metal boxes basically with a you know uh, the all of the things inside, you know, exposing that capability uh, externally, you know, via APIs, via services that you're providing. Uh, I mean, the, you know, getting people comfortable with the the security measures, the, the the setup around those things, the, you know, exposure for the, the risk of fraud, everything that goes with that. I mean, it, it kind of means that more than ever, really, your your systems, your monitoring, the, the fraud systems, the risk systems, that, you know, all of those things need to be really you know, next generation in terms of what's there, because, you know, that's really where your risk is, isn't it? Yes, yes, exactly. And I think, uh, I think just, just having capacity and being sure that to, to be able to, to deal with that additional load of customers is something that we're also managing and having to think about in advance. Lauren, I, I guess to, to come back to, to you on this, I mean, there's lots of, um, you know, big financial services players that are adopting this. And we talked about a few that, that are non-financial services. But I think the thing that's particularly amazing about the APAC region is the amount of uh, non-traditional financial services players who are really now able to serve huge customers uh, with brands that people really, really love. You know, like, uh, what what sort of big examples do you see in this market? And And actually, I mean, do you really see this as a much bigger threat to the to the banks, then, you know, put your fingers in your ears here, Zubin and Surrender, than the fintechs themselves? Well, I, I mean, I think there are there are lots of different ways that um, different members of the value chain can win in in terms of looking at, you know, embedded finance as a as a proposition. 
you know, I, I think, you know, we've already talked about what the what the w- wins are for, for the end user being kind of the consumer or, or the SME. But equally, there's there's wins for the distribution channel, which are, you know, marketplace platforms or super apps like we've discussed that can really gain access from potential secondary sources of, of revenue and access to data, although it's not always straightforward, as, as Zubin has just mentioned. But for enablers too, like open banking providers, um, you know, it, it gives them access to new business models by allowing for them to establish that value exchange between the financial institution and the distributor. And then for the the providers, it's really about diversifying that distribution network. So I see there being multiple winners in in the value chain. And, and you know, I think financial institutions can be one of them as well. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see, isn't it? The, the sort of slices of it and actually then what is the what is the critical thing for a, a customer of any type, whether it's, you know, SMEs or whether it's, uh, whether it's retail, I mean, is convenience overcoming the decision-making that you would go with loyalty to, you know, brand X or brand Y or whatever. So, um, I mean, I've often said with a Western context, it's like if Nike did a bank, I'd have everything with that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So, so I, I really think it's like, if, if brands that people love can start, um, orchestrating financial lives for people and making their lives easier. It's probably where the win's going to be. I mean, it's an interesting context as well. And and for, you know, everybody outside of APAC that's listening to this, I mean, I've seen a lot of terrible super app strategies in big banks because they generally sort of fail to realize that all of the things that happens in APAC started with solving a customer's problem really, really well, and then moved on to solving other needs in that way. Um, so I, I guess, Lauren, in, in that sense, I mean, it feels like there's a long way to go uh, in terms of all of the problems that can be solved for customers. I mean, we could talk about financial inclusion, or we could talk about the you know plethora of problems that corporate businesses have got, or more SME you know use cases. But but it feels like the the road is really long for embedded finance. So I mean, where do you think we're going to get to? I mean, it feels like a feels like a bright future, but where do, what do we do next? Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of think embedded finance is sure to accelerate from here, and I would expect to see more lending deposits and and payments use cases emerging. But back to what we were talking about before, I also expect to see financial institutions adapting their go-to-market strategy in order to start to to compete in and capitalize on this space. Um, But the other area of interest is those kind of horizontal SaaS and platform players who are starting to accelerate the distribution process across industry verticals as well. So if, if I'm thinking about kind of where to next, they're probably the the three things that I would call out. Very cool. So Andrew, what do you think? Um, what's the what's the next stage of development for embedded finance? So I think one, this would, um, um, like customers would be asking for better and better services from whatever tools that they're using or whatever different uh, services that they're using. Uh, I think they would see that, because the access to financial services is opening up more and more, uh, the transparency in the market increases, and then hence customers are expecting the tools that they're using to be offering similar services within those ecosystems. Uh, the second thing I think that has to change is that how do we make this, like especially for WISE, like this is a big focus area, which is how do we make this uh, platform accessible to more and more different types of use cases? Uh, we've seen like a couple of different kind of just use cases and segments just come up 
because of the because of the possibilities of embedded finance like i can point out to maybe one which is which is very cool for me is like uh, this whole phenomena of remote working like there are these multiple companies that are now managing you know people who work remotely but then can run payroll for them using something like a wise platform quite efficiently and which is just completely opened up a new category uh, access to like different kinds of investments around the world uh, multi currency investments around the world is becoming much more um, you know much more easier and convenient for customers because of again uh, you know wealth tech platforms uh, using embedded finance and offering multi currency accounts so i see like all of these different kinds of use cases get more and more efficient for customers and affordable for customers uh, the end customers who end up benefiting from them very very cool i mean zubin maybe last word for you on on that one i mean the future is super bright in this space but i mean what what really has you excited i'm really interested in how we can you know provide bite sized pieces of financial services to people who haven't used them before through embedded finance and that serves as a gateway right so these big pay example you can pay with big pay and super app um eventually we'll be able to hopefully expose payment features within super apps you can use qr pay within super app and 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 pay for your you know whatever you're doing when you go on holiday now for us a lot of people started using bigpay for their day to day in country spending when they started using it abroad and say hey this is a really great way to track how i spend what i spend on and see you know whether i'm managing my 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 consumption properly so i think that ability to to kind of show people what they could do um to to level up their lives with that little bite sized piece of financial services and then you know migrate into you know the bigger financial services platform of of, of bigpay from the embedded finance that's super exciting for us very cool i mean it's um it's it really is an amazing space so i i guess Lauren, coming back to you to to close us out because we're we're really going to have to wrap wrap up. Uh, we definitely could uh, you know cover uh, I think just one of the regions that we could cover in much greater depth to uh, to for another three or four hours. I, I think at this stage, but I guess kind of coming back to that you know that question at the top of the show in terms of how is embedded finance disrupting access to finance in APAG fundamentally, right? I, I, I guess the the interesting thing on that really is where is the limit? So what what do you think? I mean, how is it disrupting it? Well, I think as we sort of all discussed and commented on, this is a real paradigm shift in, in customer experiences and customers, whether they be consumers or businesses, are really kind of leveling up their expectations on, on how they engage with financial services. And financial services providers now have multiple routes to distribute their services. Um, So in my view, I think partnerships becomes even more critical to success and scale for financial services providers. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, anywhere in the world where you see uh, really, you know, new technology or new regulation or new opportunities, when it creates competition in the market, the customers really, really benefit from that. And uh, I think that's what we're really seeing is the the customer benefit, the customer experience rapidly improving across the board, which is fantastic. So on that note, we are going to have to wrap up the show. Where, so that does wrap up this edition of FinTech Insider Focus in association with our friends over at Visa. Thank you so much for the panel for joining us. Where can people learn a little bit more about you and your companies? Sir Andrew, starting with you. Uh, yeah, people can learn about Wise on Wise.com and uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. Very cool. Zubin. Well, download the Big Pay app if you're in Malaysia or Singapore and soon to be Thailand. Or go to our website on bigpayme.com. Very good. Lauren. Um, so you can find me on LinkedIn, search Lauren Ware Visa. And to find Visa's fintech portal, simply Google Visa for fintechs.
Very, very cool. As always, you can find me lurking on LinkedIn. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps us make it better and helps other people find the show as well. For more on this discussion, look out for the next episode of Fintech Insider Focus in two weeks' time. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.